I'd like to start out our, our session today with the word of prayer. So if you'll bow your head with me, I'd appreciate it. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to come together this morning and talk about leadership. I pray that you would be with us in this session, that, that you would be glorified, and that the things that we learn here would help us to be better leaders and uh, better able to follow you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, I'm not used to doing this, but I'm going to go ahead and introduce myself. Uh, my name is Ken Turpin, and I work at the University of Texas at Brownsville. There's an old friend, Rick House. Um, so I, I see a few familiar faces out here, so it's nice, nice to see you. University of Texas at, at Brownsville and Texas Southmost College. So I work for two institutions that are kind of rolled all into one. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about my background so you understand my frame of reference. I uh, started out my career as a teacher, and I taught in our academies for a while. And about six, six years, six, seven years into my career, I was recruited to become the principal of one of our academies. And so I served as an academy principal for five years, and from there... I was asked to serve at the North American Division in, a, in an office called Philanthropic Service for Institutions, affectionately known as PSI because it's a lot easier to say. And PSI is an office on philanthropy that basically not only serves the North American Division but serves the world church in terms of philanthropy because there is no um, office on philanthropy at the General Conference, just at the North American Division. So I spent uh, 12 years there, and then I spent two years in North Carolina at uh, Pitt County Memorial Hospital as executive director of their hospital foundation, and now I'm at University of Texas at, at Brownsville. So that's a little bit about my background. Um, I am a certified fundraising executive. There's only a, a few thousand of those in the United States. Uh, my job at the University of Texas at Brownsville is that I'm the Associate Vice President for Development. And what I do mainly is, is just help to raise money for the university and uh, build relationships with alumni and, and uh, help do those kind of things. So that's my background. It's, uh, I'm very happy to be here with you. Uh, I, love, I love coming to ASI because I've, I've been to ASI maybe 12 different times. Every year I worked at uh, the division, I always tried to make it a point to come here and be a part of um, ASI because there were so many ministries that PSI was working with, and then a lot of my donors to PSI were here as well. So I, f I found it um, uh, a great place to be and enjoy the, the fellowship and the ministry. So anyways, uh, they asked me to come back here and speak, and so I'm happy to be here with you today. And uh, it's a thrill. Now, what I would like to do is to encourage you to be par participative uh, this morning. Uh, nobody, I don't think there's any, anybody who has uh, all the answers to leadership. I brought some things that I would share with you today. I did bring a PowerPoint presentation, and I brought it on a flash drive. I brought it on a laptop, and I brought a paper copy of it. Now, the only thing that has really survived is the paper copy of it. The flash drive 
I brought it on my uh, my Mac, and the Mac won't work here because I don't have an adapter. And the flash drive, somehow when I connect it to this PC, it's not picking up the PowerPoint presentation. So uh, I also believe that presenters shouldn't be tied to their PowerPoint presentations. So so you're going to get a presentation this morning without, without the uh, PowerPoint presentation. But I... I do have copies of handouts, so if you uh, want to take anything with you here today, you can, and uh, those will be available to you. In fact, if you want, does anybody want one now? <laughs> here's, a, here's a couple people. Maybe you could help me pass them out. Thank you. And I had no idea how many people were coming, so what you have is what you what you have. And if if you'll have my uh, email address, if you want to contact me afterwards, I'll be glad to email the, the presentation to you. It's not uh, chock full of a lot of information in the PowerPoint because I really don't believe in those. I think that you should put very few words on the PowerPoint, and if you want to take notes, you can. But. Um, all of us have, uh, have had the challenge of, of working for people who were difficult to work for. And uh, I can remember one of the very first jobs I, I, I worked, I was working at Florida Hospital in their maintenance de- department, and I was asked to pick up a push broom and, uh, and help clean up this mess. And so I went to the, the tool barn and I checked out this big push broom and as I examined the thing, I was just kind of carrying it like this, and I looked at it, and it was rotten where, where it screwed into the, to the bristles. And so I said to my supervisor, I said, um, this thing is rotten, and I think it's getting ready to break. And he says, well, if you're careful, it won't break. <laughs> so guess what happened when I started using it? It broke. And and so, you know, there's sometimes that, and he was not very happy with me. He was convinced that I wasn't very careful with things. So, you know, it, there's a huge responsibility in terms of um, leadership and how you can inspire people to follow you. And there's a, a way to get things done. Now, let me ask you here, how many of you are leaders in your ministries or organizations that you're uh, in right now. All right. How many of you are a kind of like a sub leader and your boss is here today? Raise your hand. Okay, so you be careful what you say and questions that you ask. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's kind of interesting because I have a philosophy that um, everyone should be a leader no matter where they're at in the organization. And the best way to get things accomplished within an organization is, is to to empower the people that work for you so that they feel like they are leading something and that they have some ownership. Um, 
it, this has been an in interesting transition for me because the first 25 years of my career I worked for the Seventh-day Adventist Church in various capacities. And I found that, um, that leadership on that level, at least in the church, uh, was, was fairly good about empowering and, and trusting. And a lot of times it was due to just simply not enough people to, to go around to help give oversight. But what ended up happening is, is that people end up filling the vacuum. Sometimes people fill that vacuum with good things. And sometimes people fill that vacuum with negative things. So if you, if you do a good job and you have what it takes, and then you have a lot of opportunities in the church. What I found out uh, since I left the church and have been working for other organizations, leadership, um, uh, there's the same common problems exist in, in all organizations, and leadership um, is a very difficult and uh, sensitive issue because... As, as leadership thrives and empowers and, and helps to uh, make things happen, uh, organizations either succeed or fail depending on what that leadership is doing. Uh, there's some, some dynamics that take place within the Seventh-day Adventist Church that the leadership is so diverse and, and spread out that a lot of times these organizations uh, tend to do fairly well even with leadership sometimes waning a little bit. So let's talk about the different types of leadership. Um, there's spiritual leadership, there's organizational leadership, um, inspirational leadership, empowering leadership, and visionary leadership. And uh, these are the, some of the subjects I want to dwell on. I'm probably not going to spend a lot of time talking about spiritual leadership. Um, I, I tend to, I'd like to focus mostly on uh, practical, day-to-day -day management type of things that you might do in, in your position. Um, how many of you have ever worked for an anti-leader? <laughs> the anti-leader. Let me ask you a couple questions. Um, tell, me, tell me, what are some of the characteristics of the best leaders that you've ever worked for? If you could just shout out one word to share uh, what someone would be. Decisive. Decisive. Wow, that's a, that's a great one. What was the last one? Serving. Serving. Kind of like, kind of like fair. Someone who's fair to all the employees. Sense of urgency. A sense of urgency to what to accomplish the mission or. I'm gonna I'm gonna include that as visionary. Okay. What else comes to mind? Integrity. Well, oh, that's excellent. I'm gonna put down communicator. Pardon me? A planner. A 
All right, you probably can't even read all these, but let me ask you, what's apparent when you read this list? I remember a few years ago, we were interviewing for an associate pastor, youth pastor at our church. We had 30 people interviewing this poor guy. Oh, my goodness. I finally had the, the nerve. I say some things that are fairly outrageous. I said, I don't think Jesus could get this job. You know, these people were tough. And uh, I, I, will, I will tell you that um, no leader has all these skills, and that's the point, is, is that it's very tough to own every single one of these. One of these, I don't think I'm going to write it down, but uh, one thing that I think helps is to have a sense of humor. Oh, you found that. You own one? <laughs> hey, that would be great. <laughs> Anyways, uh, to have a sense of humor, and I think that that's really important if you're going to be a good leader, is to, to know how to um, have a sense of humor and take, take things in stride, like when your PowerPoint presentations won't work and you're not quite sure how all this works. You may not even, I don't know if we're going to need this. It's not the right one? No, it's not. No, it's not. Yeah, okay. It does work? All right, here, why don't you take this with you? A pair of pliers. <laughs> So the so the point is is that there's a lot of a lot of things for leaders to work on, and very few of us who have ever led organizations um, have all these skills. And so we're going to talk about that. I'm going to bring that one back. Now, tell me some of the things that you've seen in some of the poor leaders that you've had over the years. Unapproachable. <sighs> Unapproachable. Harsh? Wow. That comes right next to mean. <laughs> right? Glory seekers. Pardon me? That's a great one. How do you put that in one word? I think we'll all remember that, won't we? <laughs> That's hilarious. I get. I mean, I'm. I've worked for someone like that, and it's just, it's just crazy. Or per, perhaps. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about this particular subject, but it's a it's similarly, and that the fact is is that there's really no power without money. They're they're a little bit synonymous. You have to admit that. In other words, um, if if you're going to be an effective leader, you need to figure out how to give people who are in charge of key responsibilities within your organization give them budgetary items that they're responsible for 
because it goes along with being able to make those decisions. It doesn't, and and the, if you have good people working for you, and if you hold them accountable, they, usually these are not going to be the type of people who are going to just run off and just blow all the money in one spot. They're going to be good communicators them, themselves. So one of the things I would tell you is, is that if you're going to be an effective leader is, is make sure that, that you create a budget such that you don't hold all the keys to how the money is spent. If you're going to really, truly empower people who work for you, give them a budget. I work, I, I work for somebody that, that has all the money in a big pot. And uh, if you want to get something done and you uh, approach that person, uh, basically, if they don't want to do it, they say that there's no money in the budget for that, and if they do want to do it, then they can give you the money. So they, they hold all the control and power for everything, and no decisions are made in terms of handing out any budget to different staff to get things done throughout the year. So try to, I would tell you is, is try to, um, you know, we said confused. Who said that confused? And it was basically they they give you the responsibility but no authority. That's right? like a micromanager. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been I've been I've I've had to work for people like that before, and that's that's a huge huge challenge. Yeah. Um, Delegated control. Yeah. Well, there's um. I'm going to write down this thing: decisions. That they can't make decisions, and uh, people who are not effective leaders can't make decisions. And uh, some of the research that I've done, and, and you know, I guess what I've always believed in my career is I've, I don't even. You know, I've had a few mentors along in my career and, and uh, people that I've kind of uh, always picked up a phone and talked to about big decisions. I don't know if you're doing that right now. It's always either to be good to be a mentor or a mentee. I mean, if, if, you don't, if you're not a mentor to somebody, you really um, you know, ought to be a mentee. You ought to be seeking somebody out and asking them for advice occasionally. And sometimes you can get a, a huge benefit out of the fact that you're helping somebody else. Somebody who's young and learning can add a lot to your experience as well by you giving them advice that are going to help, uh, help you in terms of your decision making. Right, right. People are promoted to the level of their incompetence. Yeah, that's true. And it's and it's very true. I don't know how many of you've seen how many of you seen people like that. Uh, people who are like that. I, I think a lot of us have. And the and the fact is is that some people are just taking positions that that they're offered without having the skill set enabled in order to do them. Um, my second slide, um, I put put it down as uh, the anti-leader, and uh, we've all worked for the anti-leader, someone who's controlling disorganized, insecure. Something I wrote down is, is death by meetings. In other words, they can't make decisions, so they just have another meeting, and they meet and meet and meet. In fact, the, the meetings kind of proliferate on different levels and different directions until the decision is finally forced and, and there's a problem. 
inability to make decisions and uh, someone who's a micromanager. So um, as we talk about what makes a good leader and what makes a poor leader, I want to um, talk about how do we avoid these things, being a poor leader, and how do we become a great leader, and how do we acquire these skill sets. And there's a, there's a few things I want to share with you. Um, the, first, the, the first two are uh, hire, hire people that you can't afford. Uh, there's, there's something to be said for, you know, a lot of times we hire people that, that they come at a price that we can afford, and what they bring to the table is they don't bring any leadership to the table, and then they end up being the kind of people that you have to eventually get rid of, and it's more expensive to get rid of those people than it is to hire the right people in the first place. So um, I would encourage you that as you look to hire people for your organizations or your ministries, try to find people that are better than you in some area that you don't bring to the table. In other words, look at your own you have everybody in here. If you're a leader, you're going to have to sometime, somehow take an inventory of your skill set and have kind of a come to Jesus meeting with yourself and what your leadership skills are, and admit what you don't have. And if you don't, and when you find out what you don't have, then you need to hire people who can bring that to the table and then empower them to use those skills to help benefit what you're doing in your organization. And, and by doing that, then you're going to help the entire organization to go a lot better. And it's also been said to hire people who want your job. Well, let me tell you how, how, it, do, how it does make sense. And there's, there's, if there's a competitive environment where they truly want to take your job and uh, kick you out the door, that's a problem. But if you want somebody who sees themselves as you or someone who's capable of leading then what you're going to do is you're going to find people uh, who are able to assume some leadership skills and responsibilities and roles in your organization, and uh, hopefully the whole organization will be better off. Tell me your concern when you said that statement. That doesn't make sense. It's part of the midlife decline and the younger generation looking to uh, kind of position themselves in the marketplace. So I, I think it's I think as the gray hair sets in and we get a little stiffer and a little weaker, those in the fifties are looking at those in the twenties and, and you know, look at them as as potentially threatening when in reality if they're aligned with what you're doing, they're a huge asset. All right. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, and there the but point the initial competitive piece is uh oh. <laughs> yeah. They're young wolves out there. Yeah, I my uh, daughter, her name's Kara, and she works at um, Southern Adventist University, and she's working in their advancement office. And uh, I'm very proud of her. She wants to be a fundraiser someday. Um, but she tells me on the phone, she talks to Chris Carey, who's their VP for advancement. She goes, Dad, I walked into his office, and I told him I wanted his job. <laughs> and she, he goes, you want what? <laughs> All right. And she said, well, I know I can't do it, but I just, you know, I want to be a VP for advancement someday. And I think that the fact is you need to, to look for people to bring into your organization who uh, you see as being a young you and someone that you can train and, and teach them the kind of things that you wished you had known when you were their age. And uh, 
you know, if you, if you hire the right people, these young people are going to know that they don't know it all, but they have the confidence to, to grow and to, to learn and to, to, to take in what your knowledge base is. And I mean, Kara's, Kara's um, bright enough to know that she doesn't know very much. But she's also bright enough to ask lots of questions. Like she'll go out and on a major gift ask, and she'll be calling me and talking to me about how to do it, and, and she'll role play, and, and I'll mentor her as she's going out to ask people for money. And she'll, she'll uh, surround herself in the office with um, you know, people who are older than her and seek lots of advice before she moves forward. So I would just encourage you to find the right people to hire, someone who's uh, aggressive, and, and uh, make sure that you hold them real close to you so they don't actually take your job, but somebody who might take your job eventually if you decide to ever leave or retire. I would encourage you um, to make real changes in your organization. Um, the, I love this, this uh, quote, and I keep it on me. It's, it says, the only thing that remains the same is change. And uh, you need to constantly look at what you might do to do your jobs and your jobs more effectively and to embrace things that are new technologies. Um, I would encourage you to embrace uh, not only technology, but also um, education and learning constantly. Bring youth into your organization and look for innovation. I had the, the privilege to uh, ride in, the, in a shuttle over here yesterday with Ben Schoen, who was the president of AWR for many years. And Ben and I used to share Sabbath school class um, at the Beltsville Seventh Day Adventist Church, and, and uh, we would teach, uh, we take turns teaching this class. And he's a new VP for the General Conference, and I, and I was just encouraging him to uh, get Ted Wilson to start uh, twittering, because there's a there's a huge generation of people mostly. How many of you have a Twitter account? Some of you, okay. Well, there's a huge generation out there that are uh, what they call tweeting. And uh, some of us are a little bit intimidated by Twitter and, and what that sounds like and what it is. But the reality is is that, that uh, Twitter is a way that a, a whole generation of people are communicating with one another. And uh, I was encouraging Ben to get um, Ted Wilson to start uh, tweeting. And what, what that means, and I'll explain it real sh- briefly, why don't you plug it in first, and then we'll <laughs> try it. I encouraged him to, um, the tweeting, what it does is it just kind of, it sends like out a mass text message to anybody who's following you out there to give you an update of what they're up to. And, and um, you know, I, I, our campus uh, tweets and has a Twitter account. And basically, let me give you an illustration um, I'm following, um, well, I have followed uh, ESPN, and they'll send me a tweet that, that, you know, this trade was made. And I dropped them because they were sending me too many things. But um, I've also got CNN on there, so when something happens, I'll find out within seconds if something happened around the world. So I was encouraging him that, that if he's off in some division and they're having an evangelistic series, that he might share with the world church through Twitter that um, I'm meeting with this division. Please pray for us as we have the, um, this evangelistic series today. And it'd be a way to communicate with everybody in the world about what's happening 
with the Seventh Day Adventist Church and what the church president's doing. So, anyways, if you don't use some of these new technologies, see how you might embrace them. If the, the, those of you who are those of you who are at ministries, you really certainly ought to look at these, and especially if you're interested in in fundraising. I couldn't have done all that just. Cancel free public Wi-Fi. That doesn't even look right, does it? I'm not going to get all my slides on here. <laughs> what? Embrace technology. Who said that? I'm, I'm picking on you. <laughs> it's funny. Well, I did embrace it. I like. I told you I did three things to get here and make sure this came out okay. And so, anyways, th- those are things I'd like to encourage you to do: is to make sure that you uh, do those things. Now, let's talk. Let's talk about some other. Um, things that you can do in terms of being an effective leader in your organization. First of all, manage for results. Um, I would encourage you to make sure that that as you do your planning, there's a session on planning. I don't know if you can get her materials, but uh, there's a session on planning going next door. But make sure that you have um, goals and objectives and deadlines for your people in terms of what they do. Write them down and say these are your goals throughout the next year. And if you have goals and deadlines, um, both short and long-term goals, then it gives people uh, an idea of where you're going as an organization, but it also allows you to identify when people are not performing according to uh, what you've asked them to do. I think early on in my career, it's probably one of the things that I I didn't really quite have a firm firm hold on, and that is, is that... If you don't put down, if you don't write down what you want and give it to somebody, and put down a firm date, that you're you're not going to get what you want or what you're expecting. And people cannot exactly just read your mind. Um, when I first started doing effective, what I think is effective planning, um, I started putting down, "Oh, I want this done in December." And then I started uh, finding out that December was not an effective date. And I would encourage you that if you want something done by a particular uh, date, that you pull out a calendar and you pick a day on the month that you want something to happen. Don't just say just December. Put down a real live date. Don't just say December 15 because it might be a Saturday and you don't want your due date to be on a Saturday or on a Sunday. Pick it a, a, as a day a week that it's a real consequential day in your office that you know people are going to be showing up and you can expect those materials to be done. Um, practice change and, and reward innovation in your offices as well. So I want to share something. Um, some, of these, some of these thoughts I'm sharing with you, um, how many of you read anything of uh, Patrick Lencioni? Ever heard of Patrick Lencioni? Well, I would encourage you to uh, buy some of his books. Um, uh, some of these quotes and some of these thoughts are coming from some of Patrick Lencioni's work. 
Uh, Patrick Lencioni uh, wrote The Five Dysfunctions of a Leader. And then he, he kind of went through and, and wrote several other books that followed that, uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and he really worth reading. And his stuff is not really deep, but it's really powerful. Patrick Lencioni uh, said, make, make results the most important measure of personal success or step down from the job. The future of the company you lead is too important for customers, employees, and stockholders to hold it hostage to your ego. Uh, L-E-N-C-I-O-N-I. In fact, I would tell you, if you're looking for a way to assess your leadership skills, I would uh, read The Five Dysfunctions of a CEO. That's probably where you should start. And uh, there's actually an inventory in there that you can take, and it'll help you see where where you're at. All right, let me, um, well, can I define results? No, you can't. You you define them, but that's that's the point of what I was saying is is that um, I would have a, a time every year where you plan a day or two to do strategic planning and talking about where you guys are going to go in the coming year and define what your results are at that point and then create the plan. I, the, you know, the, the steps are rather dynamic, but you, know, you should pretty, pretty much say, all right, our goal is to communicate with our uh, constituents. And then you're going to have different ways that you're going to do that. You're going to say, well, one objective uh, is, is to put out a, a newsletter. And another one is could have at least one uh, a quarterly email newsletter. Or maybe it's to tweet at least uh, one, once a week to people who are following you and, and, or to, to have a Facebook page. So you identify what your goals are at the beginning of the year. And you say, all right, uh, you're in charge of communications here. And here's your goal. I want 12 newsletters out of you. I want an email version going out. I want you to, and you're writing all this down, and you have goals assigned when each of those newsletters come out. And so you're going to define what the results are. Sounds like a job description. Um, well, a job description says is that you're in charge of the newsletter, and you're in charge of corporate communications. The, the plan uh, identifies exactly when, how, what, where, and how you're going to measure whether the results are there. I will tell you that if you're not writing down and, and, and making it a part of your record and giving it to your people, that you cannot hold them accountable properly unless you're giving them firm dates and goals and objectives for everything that they're doing. I'm not saying that you have to have a big, huge corporate you know, plan, and you need to spend fifty thousand dollars bringing in someone. But it, it peop, your employees deserve to have some personal time where they're going to come in and sit down with you, and they're going to have a clear 
idea of what your objectives are for them. And if they don't know clearly what you want out of them, and if you're not willing to write it down, how can you fairly hold them accountable to something you're not willing to commit to in the beginning? It doesn't mean that things won't change throughout the course of the year, but it's pretty clear that you have to kind of tell them right off the bat, this is what I expect you to do. All right, let's uh, talk about lead by example and uh, earn respect. I, I think that a lot of people have a tendency to want to be popular with their employees and uh, to be friends with them. And uh, if you're like me, I, I never really went into uh, leadership on purpose. I mean, I was kind of recruited into it. I think I have I had the right skill set for it. One of the, the thing that was one of the things that was the hardest for me to accept was is that um, these people were my, now my employees. They weren't my friends. And that sounds sounds just a little bit harsh, but it doesn't mean that you're not friendly to them. It doesn't mean that you don't treat them like family, but they're not your friends. And what you need to get out of your employees more than anything anything else is probably their respect because as somebody else said said here earlier that um, you treat everybody fairly this is a comment someone made uh, someone who's consistent and you said that see if you if you have someone who's consistent and fair you're going to get their respect it doesn't mean that you're best friends with somebody so realize is that you can't always be popular one way to help make sure that you do that is make sure you have uh, annual performance reviews. And they'll, re they'll be reminded <laughs> that at that review that you're their boss. And that while you're friendly to them and you might go to lunch with the, them as a group occasionally and things like that, they're going to be reminded that you're the boss and you're reviewing their performance over the a past year. If you're a good leader, let me just give you these things I didn't put in the presentation. If you're a good leader, they're not going to be surprised by anything they hear in the performance review. Make sure that if you have problems with employees, that you tell them then on a one-on-one -on -one basis behind a closed door instead of waiting for the review to come up at the end of the year. So there should be nothing that should be a surprise in that review. But the reviews are also a great way for those of us who have most of our employees or great employees for us to sit down with those people and tell them how valuable you think that they are to the organization and how much you appreciate them, and that will go a long ways. I've had more of those reviews than the other. And then the last thing in the reviews is it gives them an opportunity to give you some feedback about how you're doing. You know, um, when I was an academy principal, I, I, I did that. And uh, I had an evaluation done, and someone tabulated it, and then my superintendent came back and gave me the results. And I, I think that that was fairly um, valuable, but I think that that could have been just as easily accomplished by um, having a good mentor. You know, my mentor could tell me the things that I needed to improve upon. So, you know, the dynamics of leadership and uh, managing employees are, are so huge because uh, the issues are not as always simple as what the employees imagine. And so they, sometimes they can't fairly judge whether you're really a great leader or not. I mean, 
you can tell, I, I haven't seen any great instruments to do that or any ways to deliver the feedback outside the educational system. If your leader is not a good leader, how do you broach that? Pray for your leader is a good. I think that that is valid um, in a lot of cases because none of us are perfect in our leadership roles where we are. In other words, um, I'm an, uh, an associate vice president and I have a vice president I answer to. So I see some issues with my leader, but I may not be the perfect leader also. So I, you know, I, I think that the problem is, is that you have to realize is that every organization either dies or thrives or just barely survives based on who the leader is. And sometimes if you're working for someone like that, there's not much you can do other than just trying to get in and doing the very best job at what you can possibly do and doing your job the best you can. Because some leaders, they don't, they don't create avenues for you to help. In other words, I, I have, in my career, um, I've never seen somebody who embraces all these at once, but I, I finally have found someone like this. And when you work for someone like that, who's a poor leader, and they embody the Peter principle, you, you a lot of times have to wait for leadership to change, or you need to go find someplace else to work that you can be ful fulfilled in. And I agree, I, I agree that you need to pray for the people that you work for, and I think that that can help you. Um, they may not change. So, comment here? Yeah, I mean, that you can do that, but it comes at some risk because if you live in a very siloed organization, um, it's going to come full circle. And you could be out of a job soon. And so, and I, I sound rather narcissistic, and I am sorry for that. But I actually have found a situation like that. And uh, some of you have worked in those situations. Some of, some of you are in those situations right now. And uh, you're not in an environment where you can sit down with your boss and, and uh, you know, share what your concerns are. Because they might say to you, well, if you don't like working here, why don't you go work someplace else? 
<laughs> so. Yet, sometimes a leader is unwilling to delegate authorities, and because of that, the business is dying. Right. How would you go about trying to get that leader to change and delegate authorities and responsibilities? Well, I mean, the only thing I can tell you is is that um, I would sit down with the leader and express to them what your uh, concerns are and say, what can I do to earn your respect? What can I do to gain your trust? What can I do to make your job easier? And how can I help you in this organization to be more effective? You can do that. You can do that. That's, and that may be about the only thing that you can do but just because you do that, you have to realize that it may not make a difference. In other words, I think you said it, is the person that you work for these people who are confused. <laughs> there are really people like this that are really confused. You can sit down and have the heart-to-heart talk with them, and you can speak to them as truthfully and honestly as you can and in every, embody every Christian principle that you know. And you say, you know, you can trust me. What do I need to do? And they say, well, I need to hear, see another email from you every day, or I need a, um, you know, I need these things from you. And you can do them all. The things may not change. You just have to realize that the the problem with organizations are is that they're run by leaders, and they're on the top. And you may or may not be able to do anything to to do anything about that. I mean, just look at. Look at the Old Testament and all the different tribes, and you know, I mean. I think our job was to be like Daniel, who could go through multiple administrations and still have a job. <laughs> yeah, right? it, yeah, I agree. Right? Yeah. Right. And because it was godly appealed, uh, you know, he was uh, respected by two different empires, not even just, you know, I mean, not just a, a change of government, but empires. Right. Well, we all answer to somebody. Even our leaders answer to somebody. And so if they're ineffective in accomplishing the organizational goals, then they're going to be replaced. And because of your faithful service, you may be the person who will move to fill in that position. So now, I, I actually agree that, that most of us, the effective leaders have probably three-quarters of these skills down. And the people who are truly effective leaders have hired people to fill in the gaps where we don't have them, and we're fully comfortable in bringing people or embracing people in our organizations who can fill those gaps, and we're not threatened by it, and we actually embrace it and empower those people to fill those gaps. For instance, um, I mean, you might not be terribly organized. 
So I would say hire somebody who is organized and someone who can, I, I tell my people, I, I try to hire good people and I say, all right, just tell me what you want me to get done. So I work with them at the uh, decision making, uh, with the vision, the trusting. I mean, I work with them on all these other levels, but if I'm not organized, then I try to hire someone who's very organized and I give them permission to tell me what my actionable items are for that particular day. And it doesn't bother me because they're, I've given them that permission to do that. Going back to holding people accountable, what if it's a family business and you can't fire people? You want to be there for that. And there happens a lot in some ministries where there's also Methodism where the family is drawn on campus or on to the ministry and one. Well, I mean, some of you have family-run businesses, and some of you are in ministries and things like that. And the fact is that sometimes those things run great, and sometimes they run their course, and you have family members who leave because they're not happy. But either who's the head of that family-run business either takes control of that situation and holds those family members to account accountability, or the or whole organization will hurt. Yeah, I mean it's the it's the price of leadership. Either the organization thrives or it dies. So I mean, and the the accountability thing is that if you if you're measuring what success is, then you can say, listen, you did not perform on these things. You need to be you need to be doing something that you're happier doing. Yeah. Well, and the feedback, the feedback is key. And if we're not giving that feedback, I think that in a family situation, we're a little bit reluctant to give that feedback because we're afraid to hurt their feelings. And then we have to go home with them. Uh, right. Good point. Lencioni says, work for the long-term respect of your direct reports, not for their affection. Don't view them as, as a support group, but as key employees who must deliver on their commitments if the company is to produce predictable results. And remember, your people aren't going to like you anyway if they ultimately fail. So people are generally encouraged when they, have, when they are successful in their jobs. You know, I think people like to be pushed occasionally. Um, be decisive in your in your job. Uh, avoid paralysis by analysis. Some people like to just kind of constantly look at it, look at it, look at it, look at it, and they won't ever make a decision. I think that um, you have to realize that in in your jobs, there's rarely just one right way to do things, and either you're going to have to make a decision and move forward, or you're going to hurt your overall organization by not making any decision at all. The thing is, is that if you make um, an informed decision, what I, what I would suggest on, on tough 
strategic decisions for your organization, bring together the people that work for you to help make those decisions. Ask those people to, for their suggestions, their ideas. Tell them what your concerns are, what your worries are, and make an informed decision together about how you can do it. And the, buck, the buck stops with you. I mean, it, uh, ultimately, you could bring five, four or five people around a table, and you could have the different sides disagreeing with one another on how to get something done. What I would encourage you to do is to pick. <laughs> And, and the, the indecisive person is really an ineffective leader because the organization is simply not going anywhere. It is just static because no decision is made at all. If you make an informed decision and you know all, all the options and you've made your decision, what happens is, is the organization is taking a step in a direction. And what happens is, is that if you find out along the way that you need to change directions because you've gone through a process like that the people that are following you understand why you're changing your mind it's not it's not a problem to change your mind it, it won't happen it won't happen most of the time but the biggest problem is is when you're indecisive and you're not willing to make a decision so what i'm trying to say is make a decision simple advice for ceos Make clarity more important than accuracy. Be clear about what you're, what you're doing and why you're doing it. Remember that your people will learn more if you take dis decisive action than if you always wait for more information. And if the decisions you make in the spirit of creating clarity turn out to be wrong, when more information becomes available, change plans and explain why. It is your job to risk being wrong. The only real cost to you of being wrong is a loss of pride. The cost to your company of not taking the risk of being wrong is paralysis. So don't be afraid to, to take a step and make a decision. You know, bring the people around you that you trust and make and get their advice. If you don't know what to do, you know, if, you know most of you here are probably not a... Um, well, let me ask you, how many of you are in accounting or CPAs and that type of thing? Well, I, I will admit that business accounting is not my strong suit. So if we have a business decision to make, I'll put the person who's the accountant on, on the line. You tell me what it is we need to do in this situation. And it's up to me to support, support them or ask them the tough questions. But decisions have to be made and you have to swallow your pride sometimes. All right, I would encourage you to have productive ideological conflict. Um, if, you, if you hire people in your organization that all think alike, it's going to be a problem for you. You need, to see pe you need to hire people who see things differently. And you need to encourage a direct... Um, I mean, you need to have some, when you have your staff meetings or your group or team meetings, it's all right to have people disagree with one another as long as they're not attacking or criticizing other people who are in the team. But you're trying to keep your discussion. You may have to address this as a leader and say, listen, I, I expect you that if you don't like something, that you would disagree with me. I expect you to disagree with me. Just tell me why you don't agree with the decision and let's talk about it. Or if you're in a team meeting, 
try to create an environment such that you guys can uh, disagree in that meeting and people are not criticizing one another, but just talking different philosophically about how you can get something accomplished. And when you have those type of dis, uh, discussions, what happens is you're able to make a, a better decision and you get everything out on the table. You're not worried about uh, people leaving the room feeling like they didn't get to say what was on their mind. They didn't get to speak their piece. You know, and, and one thing I've found is, is that sometimes you have to search, search out opinions of people who tend to be quiet. Because sometimes those people... Um, have some very valuable things to say. Another thing I'll tell you in my experience is, is that um, everyone in your organization probably has something valuable to bring to the table. So I've, uh, I've, had, I've had some, you know, I, I see some people out there who are afraid of this, but I have people who are executive assistants or you might call them secretaries come up with the, the greatest ideas in the world because they see things completely different than anybody else in the organization. Sometimes they have the most contact with your, uh, with your customers. And, and seeking out their advice on how to handle something sometimes is very valuable as well. So create some type of a, a situation that people feel free to, to talk about um, making decisions and able to disagree with one another. Uh, simple advice for CEOs is tolerate discord. <laughs> this is from Lincioni as well. Encourage your direct reports to air their ideological differences and with passion. Tumultuous meetings are often signs of progress. Tame ones are signs of leaving important issues off the table. Guard against personal attacks, but not to the point of stifling important interchanges of ideas. I and I, I hate to, I hate conflict to be honest with you. But um, I can just think back in my career where we've had staff meetings where people were disagreeing with each other in the meeting. Sometimes when we left those meetings, we um, we made a made a better decision because we got all the issues out on the table. So it's not a, it's not wrong in that setting to have some conflict. So I would encourage conflict if you can. Um, be vulnerable. Uh, lead by example. Ask for advice from your direct reports and encourage your staff to challenge your ideas. Um, share information that you have that goes into the decisions that you're making. Because as you share that information with people, then they'll understand how you came to the conclusion that you did. Um, I would encourage you to trust your employees. Um, if you don't trust them, then you're going to end up having to do all the work yourselves. And that's, and then they're going to end up hating you. They don't feel like that they own, they own their jobs. They feel like, they're going to feel like um, they're, un, they're not empowered. They're going to feel like they can't think. And uh, it's important for you as a leader to kind of trust those people and to let them lead in their own particular areas, let them tell you how they'd like to get something done, express a concern. You know, there are key areas where sometimes you're going to have to uh, tell somebody what you think ought to be done, and, and uh, you know, you are in charge. I'm not saying to just turn the keys over, but, uh, but there are very few things that, that uh, can't be handled more than one way. So... Um, 
Simple advice for CEOs, actively encourage your people to challenge your ideas, trust them with your reputation and your ego. As a CEO, this is the greatest level of trust that you can give. They will return it with respect and honesty and with a desire to be vulnerable among their peers. So, uh, I would encourage you to trust your people. And then, uh, finally, I'm sorry to put, in, put this in this thing. I, um, my quotes are in the notes, and I can't find the notes that I printed out. I don't sound like I'm very organized, and I'm sorry about that. Wait a minute. <laughs> Go figure. No, I... I'm not, I'm not confused. But, uh. All right, so Lencioni's advice to CEOs, choose trust over vulnerability. And as you trust those people, then um, you're going to get more out of them. Uh, choose conflict over harmony. Choose clarity over certainty. Choose accountability over popularity. And choose results over status. So they kind of work in the opposite direction we talked about. But it all starts with uh, hiring good people and then trust them. Uh, be vulnerable. Yeah. 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 And you have to realize is that people are going to. Um, not always handle that trust well. In other words, you're going to trust people and they're going to um, do something to lose it. But none of us are perfect. So I had an employee one time that had a key responsibility at the academy and, and um, he ended up, you know, I would bring him into the office and I'd say, well, how's that project coming along? And he goes, oh, it's coming along fine. I bring him in the next month. I I said, "Well, so are you still on track with that?" Yeah, it's going great. And so the next, you know, two months later, I said, "So, how are things coming along?" He says, "Great." And then, after after, um, I'll just tell you, it was, it was with the school's annual. You know, the annual is the the yearbook is a year-long process so whenever I you know we'd have a monthly meeting I'd say you know how are things coming are you on target and it got to May and the annual wasn't there then he came in and apologized to me for letting me down but he had not gotten things done as he said he had so he had violated my trust and but that wasn't the end of the relationship I mean um, he apologized he made things right the next year everything was on on task and um, you know you have to be very secure to follow something like that but the the problem is is that if we don't uh, make ourselves vulnerable and trust people and give out responsibilities and expect things to come back then what happens is is we end up holding up all the responsibilities ourselves and uh, the people that work for you will hate you I hate to put it that bluntly but they will hate you They'll hate coming into work, and they'll be looking for jobs all the time. Um, instilling trust, let's see if I can lift this up. Instilling trust gives executives the confidence to have productive conflict. Fostering conflict gives executives the confidence to create clarity. Clarity gives executives the confidence to hold people accountable. Accountability gives executives confidence in expected results. 
and results are CEO's ultimate measure of long-term success. Let me share that one more time. Instilling trust gives executives the confidence to have productive conflict. Fostering conflict gives executives the confidence to create clarity. Clarity gives executives the confidence to hold people accountable. Accountability gives executives confidence in expected results, and results are CEO's ultimate measure of long-term success. Can you say it again? <laughs> Trust but verify. Well, I don't think it, I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. Sometimes it gives us an opportunity to say, "Yeah, hey, I got it. I'm done. I'm ahead of schedule." And I think that's part of the the boss's job is to hold people accountable. And you cannot blindly assume that everybody does their jobs. But some sometimes people have to be trusted to do their jobs um, to get things done. So. If they're a volunteer, well, I mean, you to, I think you have to just be direct and honest with them and, and just share with them on a one-on-one basis, you know, what, you have to be supportive of them, but you have to be direct with them on what the consequences of their actions were. So, and it, the only thing you can do differently is just in the future, in, include those volunteers in the decision-making more so so that when it comes time that they are less likely to do that. So it's, it's, all, it's all about leadership, though. So things, organizations are going to thrive or die depending on who those leaders are. I'm hopefully I'm talking to some leaders here. That's a great, that is a great, great, great question. And uh, the question is, is that when you're a leader of a non-profit board and you're, you're, you have a vision for what you would like to accomplish and you have all these board members, uh, what if they don't necessarily want to go in that direction, kind of? Well, I, I mean... Uh, this is this is probably one of my favorite subjects to talk about, and that is board leadership. And I will tell you, there's two issues at stake. Is, is one of them is is that uh, who are your board members? In other words, how are they getting to be board members? And you need to get people on those boards that you respect and trust, and that you think they have a similar vision as yours. Not that they take everything you say as the gospel truth, but they have, 
they have a similar vision. Okay? But then what happens is when you get those people on your board, you need to open up yourself to hearing from them and actually believing that they're going to add to your decision-making in terms of where the vision for the organization is going. And, and it's, a, it's a huge loss of, of um, owner. It almost feels like a loss of ownership and a loss of pride. I've been there. Uh, I've been uh, um, in charge of organizations. I've come in with my great plans and my great ideas and stuff like that. And I found out that the people that I love, respected, and trust sitting around the table, people who don't report to me but they're board members, they didn't buy into it. And you have to either sit back and say, all right, what is it they're really telling me and how do I need to adjust my vision so that it brings in a more um, cohesive direction. So... And the problem with us and a lot of our Adventist organizations are that we get people sitting around the board tables who we don't pick, and uh, sometimes they have no business sitting in the room. I mean, and it's, and it, and it's one of the reasons why a lot of our educational institutions uh, just go nowhere. I mean, there's no growth, there's no vision, there's, I mean, they're very stagnant. And uh, there's not, it's because of the church is, is picking the board members who are going to serve on the school board. And it's a lot of politics involved. So it's a very, un, very unhealthy situation. So great question. And there's lots of great books written on the subject. So I appreciate the question. Yeah, I don't know what organization you're with, but I will find, I'll tell you that a lot of administrators in Adventist organizations, and I guess in the nonprofit world, they take administrative things to the board that don't belong there. You you got to get the job done the way that you got to get it done on a day-to-day basis. But you, as a leader, ought to have a strategic planning session with your board once a year or every two years and talk about where you're going as an organization and get them to, to help create a vision that, that you can support. And you can, and those strategic planning sessions, which should be, you have an outside facilitator, have, it gives you an opportunity to share, this is my vision, and let them disagree and let's come up with something that we can all support. But you have to kind of lay it out on the table. This is what I'd like to see have happen. And they're going to say, well, that's a great idea, but let's do it this way. So your thoughts and then over here.
Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that is uh, true. Um, sometimes volunteers, they just launch off in their own direction, and sometimes you you deal with it because you like all the positive things that they bring to your organization, and sometimes you can't wait for them to rotate off your board because there's so much damage done along the way that, you know, volunteers not paid, so you can't really fire them. Um, and you don't, you don't want to ask them to leave their board sometimes because there's so much residual damage among the community of supporters that you've just got to wait till they roll off the board. So those of you who don't have board terms, think about having board terms. One more comment and then we're going to go. Do you have your hand up? I won't tell you what organization I'm in. I can, I can, my eyes are good enough still. <laughs> the other thing that he needs to realize is the fact that you don't want anybody on your board who does not Yeah. So I've, I've discovered that the greater the giver, the less interested they are in micromanagement. Yeah. 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 Well, we, we could have a session on boards, but uh, I agree with you 100%. Uh, in fact, you wanted to have people on your boards that were so powerful that they don't only want to think about running your business. Yeah. That they, they want to support it, they want to give vision to it. And they'll help you make get things get things done, but they don't want to run the day to day. They'll say, "That's why we hired you. You get it done. I'll help. I'll give you money. I'll help you make decisions, but I don't want to run your organization. And if you don't do it right, we're going to find somebody else. And that's the way it should be. So it's the key is is recruiting the right board members for your organization. So we're we're out of time. I do have uh, business cards if some of you want that, and then if you want me to email. The presentation to you. Just drop your card off, and I'll email the presentation to you. And uh, thank you. There's a there is a evaluations on the back. If you care to fill one of those out, give me some feedback on how I did. But thank you. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www asiministries.org or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons please visit www.audioverse.org